Welcome to The Bar is Loaded, your only stop for all things strength-related, with your hosts, Danny Taylor and Thomas Regan. Gentlemen, The Bar is Loaded. Welcome to The Bar is Loaded. My name is Danny Taylor. I'm your host. I'm alone today. It looks like uh, Thomas has had a day off, but we have got the man, the myth, the legend, the man himself, the, the genius the the sports therapist of Taylor Strength Training. It's Danny Staples. Welcome to the show, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here, Danny. <laughs> um, how's it going? It's going good. I've, this is my second coffee, which has not happened in a long time. So now I feel it percolating in, in me. The caffeine is coursing through my veins and I'm, I'm actually wide awake now for the first time in a while. So you cut down on coffee recently? Yeah, I think it got to a point where I noticed I was jittering a fair bit in the hands. So it was one of two things. It was either it was a, an early onset Parkinson's disease or I was drinking a lot of caffeine. And I think, quite frankly, the amount of caffeine was obscene. So you've cut down, how do you feel? <laughs> well, if, I feel better for doing it. Um, Initially, that must have been oh, that was horrible. tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it took probably four days of um, grueling headaches to make me realize this was a good idea. Uh, no, it was, it was very painful. But I think... You know, compared to any sort of detox regime, I think caffeine's a mild one, but it was still quite uncomfortable. So now that you've uh, now that you've cut it down, you'll have to excuse the background noise there as well. We're, we are in an industrial estate. If you if this is the first episode that you've listened to, uh, we are in an industrial park, so we have got a lot of uh, heavy machinery and stuff going on in, in the surrounding units. So I do apologise for that uh, interruption, the background noise. Well, to be honest, but we, we have use got, that as a joke. You know, a bit of too much caffeine. We know what happens there. There you go. Um, for those of you who don't know Danny Staples, he's been working with uh, with me and Taylor Strength. He's been part of the gym uh, since the foreman of the business and uh, since we opened the, the doors to the gym as well back in 2015. Um, he has been mentioned in previous uh, bits of content as well. He's been a bit of a bit, bit of a myth, bit of a legend in some of our videos that we've been putting up when we've mentioned uh, the likes of the Danny Staples tangent, uh, some of his dry humor, etc., and this is the man in the flesh. So if you are watching us on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook, uh, this is the man. Uh, but if you are just listening to us, make sure you tune into our YouTube and Facebook streams as well, so you, you can yeah. put a face to the voice. I tell you what, already I I, I can feel the coffee the caffeine it's yeah. kicked in. Oh, massively! So I've got the jitters already. Well, I'm I, had, I had a double espresso on me like on on the bus this morning coming oh, here, and now I'm drinking a latte. Latte. I is think it's a latte? latte. I don't know. Actually, don't know. Let's have a look. There's some white in this. Do we have a little a... bit of white? But I can't really taste the milk. I don't want to. No. Hi, Use your wise. finger. God, here we go. Live on dirty, camera. <laughs> no, I think there's definitely milk in that. I've been drinking it as well. Good man. Let's put that away. Hopefully, you're not lactose intolerant. They tolerate lactose. Well, then again, a large population of the world is lactose intolerant. Because they pasteurize the milk and they burn out all the good enzymes, namely lactase, which helps you break down milk. Great. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Danny is a sports massage therapist, and he's been helping our athletes uh, manage their injuries and recover from injuries uh, over the past couple of years, about a year and a half, two years now. Coming up to two years. I'm trying to think when I qualified now. So we're talking, I'd say informally as part of the training, I would say probably from about April of 2017. And then legally, when I got my uh, well diploma, yeah, uh, I would say that was since July of 2017. And I've been practicing ever since. Great. Tell us a little bit more about yourself then, Dan. So your involvement with me, with Taylor Strength, uh, and just your background in general. Like, How did you get to this point in sports therapy? Okay, well, let's see. So I I was thinking this, because inevitably you're always asked this question, how did you start? And in the grand scheme of things, I'm definitely not a big player in the world of, of massage, but that is uh, an aspiration I have. In training-wise, let's see. So I watched a, a very well-known uh, 90s TV series called Gladiators, which was uh, ICV, I think, approximately 5.15 of a Saturday night. And it was at that point that I realized that I wanted to get into training. So anyone who's actually heard this now, this is a secret that I've kept to myself. Of course, being a fan of anime, you see all these muscular uh, beings, if you're talking about Dragon Ball. So obviously I wanted to look a little bit like some of these heroes on screen. 
And I made a promise to myself that at 16 I would start training because a lot of people around me um, subscribe to the idea that at 16 your bones are matured to a point where it shouldn't be dangerous to add load to an exercise. So I started training at 16. Well, not necessarily. Uh, there is there is reasons behind that, but I think, like many of these arguments, it depends. But I think that's our challenge, isn't it? Not to be so dogmatic. But I think at 16 when I started, um, very much just your, your generic sort of bodybuilding style. And as Mike Boyle once said, everyone starts off as a bodybuilder. We looked at Arnie, we looked at Sly, Stallone, and obviously wanted to try and emulate those physiques. So, yeah, started training. Moved to a more, um, wouldn't, it was still commercial, but it was much more free weights, heavy gym and, um, when I turned 18. And that's when I really started learning about the uh, the sort of the compound movements, the powerlifting movements, the bench press, the squat, the deadlift, the rows, whereas previously we'd all be machine-based. So I still maintain you can achieve results with machines, which people may disagree, uh, but probably a lot of people do agree now. Um, and then really, to answer your question a bit more directly with sports therapy, I would say that was never something that I'd really anticipated that I'd get into until I... Um, injured my hamstring playing football so it was just like a grade one tear um, quite minor really in the grand scheme of things so for anyone who doesn't know grade one is, is sort of minor you know usually recovers between one to two weeks generally speaking if you do all the right things uh, but because I didn't do the right things and I kept training and I kept playing football it took about a year to actually rehab it properly and that was after some intervention from a physio Um and yeah, that's probably when I started getting an idea that I would get into it at some point and plant the seed. But it wasn't until I started working where I do currently uh, and wanted to know a little bit more about how these things work. And I thought it would be a vehicle to hopefully one day progress into physio, which has in fact happened. But it made me realize that actually um, it's an area that although there's evidence for and against, I think uh, sports massage is a very interesting field to get into and massage 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 in general so that's the uh, that's the short version then it's very yeah. much the short version There's so you mentioned that you in you're inspired by um bodybuilding from your early years uh, oh, yeah. anime <clears throat> gladiators who's your favorite gladiator out of curiosity uh warrior warrior man yeah. was a wolf man of course of course who was afraid of the big bad wolf the answer is everyone it was brilliant uh, they don't, don't make tv shows like that anymore unfortunately they don't, but then there's more than four channels now Fair. Um, bodybuilding then, who are you? So you mentioned uh, some of your main inspirations there was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. Um, when you first started training, was your ultimate goal to look like these guys? Did you want to compete? Because I know in conversations we've had in the past, it is something that you've uh, you've maybe aspired to do one or well, two points in your training journey. Well, if anyone uh, of my, my closer friends listen to this, my... My direct quote was, I wanted to be half the size of Arnie and half as defined as Bruce Lee. That was my goal at the age nice. of 18. And I feel that I've never achieved that. Uh, but now I think... Um, uh, the Frank Zane look. The Frank Zane was the one I always aspired to. Mike Mentor, yeah. I, I loved his ideas, but he, was, he didn't really look like someone you could achieve naturally. Whereas Frank Zane looked on the surface that you could achieve that naturally. What uh, weight was he walking around at? Well, time, depends what you read. One eighty similar to you. One eighty is what you you tend to read. Uh, if you believe Arthur Jones and Ellington Darden, uh, they would tell you he was around one six six pounds. So what does that make kilos wise? It's what uh, probably just just around eleven stone. So around the weight that you were at the time that you were training. Mm -hmm. So you were able to kind of look at that and think it was more of a realistic goal because he was a similar weight to you at that time. Pretty much. Yeah. It just looked more pleasing on the yeah. eye rather than the likes of, I don't know, Arnie and Franco Colombo and, um, I don't know, what's his well, name? These are the Mark guys Tomplets. who, with a shirt on, you'd, like, you'd look at them and you knew that, that they were bodybuilders. You knew that they lifted, but then the likes of, likes of Frank Zane, Ed um, he'd have to take his shirt off for you to, to realise like what he actually did. And for me, when I met you for the first time, that, that was the impression that I got because we used to wear together many years ago. And um, if you listen to episode one of The Bar Is Loaded... If you uh, haven't, our, why haven't you? Our Origins podcast. 
Um, I spoke a little bit about what inspired me, and it's actually this man who's sitting in front of us here. Uh, he kind of ignited the flame initially. Uh, he's shaking his head. If you, you, you if you're watching this, you can see you can see that he's disagreeing, but um, it's just because he's he's too modest. That's all. Uh, he, was, he was a big inspiration for me. Um, and I didn't re- realize that Danny actually done any training or anything until I called him one day, um, taking his top off, just changing. And I was kind of, go. <laughs> I was kind of like, <laughs> can't say that. <laughs> you can. Um, and uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was like, wow, okay. And then I started trying to pick your brain then about, you know, how, how to get well. to that level. And remember that well. Uh, I, I started off wanting to do bodybuilding, and here we are. Now we're, now we're podcasting. We're not doing bodybuilding. Um, yeah, no, that was a, that was an interesting period. Um, how old was I? Let's have a look. 18, 17 going on 18, I think. 18 going on... No, no, I was in you. It must have been around 20. Yeah, let's just say 20. I'm 31 now. 31. Sad times. Um what was the question? Sorry, because we're going off again. We're going on a Danny Staples tangent. We're going on a Danny Staples tangent. That's what a Danny Staples tangent is. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all good. So you mentioned a little bit about your history. So oh, yeah, yeah. at what point was it that you were like, um, why, why did you choose sports therapy? I know you mentioned that like you, you got your, your hamstring injured. You've had a couple of others quite serious injuries since then as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lower back was one, wasn't it? Oh, I remember yeah. Riley, back squat and training for powerlifting. In fact, in the show notes, we can even try and do this but we can actually put the squat on that, that gave me all the back troubles I experienced today um, was it at that point then that you were like right I need to I need to look into like I need to research this more and find out the well, reasons why people get injured and that was it that kind of avenue that uh, pushed you towards sports therapy or well, yeah but I mean it's all when it comes to sports therapy it's a case of there's preventative measures you can take, and then there's measures that are outside your control. So, yeah, trauma. You know, you're in any sort of accident. You know, you're going to be injured, and you're going to be dysfunctional as a result, irrespective of what preventative measures you put in place. But generally speaking, an everyday individual who trains or wants to be a, an amateur athlete or a semi-pro, if you're good enough, um, there's if those injuries that that I sustained did make me start thinking about preparation and. Yeah, trying to prevent these things a lot more before they they present themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't think of the likes of Kelly Starrett and Mike Boyle. A lot of their work, uh, movement is medicine. Um, and Kelly Starrett's the supple leopard. Yeah, so he. Yeah. that's probably what he's most well, probably more famous than mobility wad. But he 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 authored the book, yeah. uh, How to Become a Supple Leopard. Yeah. Um, my current lecturer in Salford now. Um, I wouldn't say he's a massive fan of Kelly Starrett, but he's very familiar with his work, and he's. Uh, made it clear that there's there are pros and cons with some of his ideas, but generally speaking, if you're coming into this with fresh eyes, really good place to start. He talks about the archetype positions that we all have, and definitely when you um, assess people from a musculoskeletal point of view, you are using these uh, positions to analyse if people are, you know, moving functionally or dysfunctionally. And the truth is, we all move dysfunctionally anyway. Um, you can find the best athlete in, in this gym, and they'll be moving. Uh, with dysfunction, but that doesn't mean they can't be effective in what they do. But there you go. I don't know. What was the question again? I've done it again. <laughs> it was just about how you got into it. Like, oh, yeah. Wh- Sorry. Why yeah. did you choose sports okay. therapy? Sorry, yeah. Um, so I chose it purely to prevent myself from getting hurt again. Right. I think when I tore my pec. So it wasn't about helping people at that point. It was more yeah. of just about your own research, yeah. trying to learn more about that field so you could enhance your own training and improve your own recovery. Well, it comes down, if you make a decision, when it comes to these things, whether it's to, you know, invent something or whether it's to, you know, become, um, I don't know, I suppose I don't know what I'm trying to say now, but if you want to get good at something, there needs to be an emotional attachment to it. So yeah. it's either someone you care about is struggling with these things or you're struggling with them personally. So it makes you try and become it's an expert. There's got to be some sort of passion in there, like the, uh, well, yeah, it's something that ignites the fire. I, at that point, bear in mind, I was still trying to compete in powerlifting. Um, I was training for the British uh, Championships when I did my back in. Um, I was there that day. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, uh, as it happened, it was my first proper week off from work in a long time. Um, I got injured at the start. So that really started it all off. I'm trying to figure out, all right, what did I do wrong? 
what could I have done in the meantime? Um, but I mean, the truth of the matter is powerlifting, this is controversial, but powerlifting is dangerous. I agree with Fred Hatfield when he said that it is a dangerous sport. It's yeah. evidenced by the amount of equipment that people need to use in competition to try and prevent themselves from hurting themselves, whether that's wraps, sleeves, um, wrist wraps, um, belts. You know, they are all there to try and give you extra support. And if you're lifting things that, you know, your body should be able to tolerate, you don't need these things. And then training with these things can actually accentuate these weaknesses that you have and these dysfunctions. Okay, so for for people who are listening who are interested in powerlifting, which is probably going to be a large part of our audience because we're, we're well known in the powerlifting world now, especially in the city and uh, within the Northwest. Um, you mentioned then about wearing supportive equipment. Now, everyone and the mother, or the nan, because we mention everyone's nans on every episode now. Hi, nan. Um, hey. Um, wears SPD knee sleeves, belts, or you know whatever it is. There's some supportive equipment. Um, so, at what point would you say that you are uh, becoming too reliant on the supportive equipment to the point where it's having a detrimental effect on your ability to recover, or um, putting you in a position where if you took that equipment off and then tried uh, tried to move without it, it's gonna cause some more harm? Um, I think just off the top of my head, I think there's two things. I think if your posture, because gen- every you know, people's bone structures are, are different, obviously. Yeah. But generally speaking, we should be able to move in a very similar way, all being well. Um, and if you notice that while performing these movements, um, that you're very sort of posturally um, weak or dysfunctional, just for want of a better word, because I'm struggling to think of any, um, that's a good time. I think if, if, take the deadlift, for example, if you find yourself excessively flexed forward, um, yes, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to hurt yourself, but it's really putting a lot of excess stress throughout your body to do that. And also using wraps to make sure you can even hold the bar. I think most people, myself included, grip strength is so poor. But by using these things, it's making your body... When you say wraps, you mean straps, as in... Well, like wrist wraps, I'm talking about now. Oh, Sorry. wrist wraps. Yeah. To so, create some more tension. Yeah, to yeah. allow this... It's making you... It's giving you an edge. It's making your body go above what it needs to... You talk about caffeine as an example. It is a performance enhancement tool to enable you to do that lift. The moment that you're dependent on these things, uh, I think that's a, an, an indication. And also, I think as a guide, you know, I think Dan John talks about these... Um, these sort of strength, what does he call them? Um, guidelines, if you like. To, yeah. to, and for him, for example, you know, someone as strong as someone who can deadlift two times the body weight, uh, squat one and a half times the body weight, bench one and a half times the body weight, overhead press the body weight. Like yeah. These are ideas. This makes you functionally strong. It's just an indicator. There's no like major science behind it, but just as a rule of thumb, I think the moment you get over those standards, I think that's when you're going to be coming into you know your your dysfunctions will become very visible mm. and i think it's at that point that i would now personally back down a little bit because powerlifting to, to, to compete in powerlifting you have to do it and if at the, it's so competitive now that this is what people are going to do and everyone else is using the equipment yeah. so you're at a disadvantage not. if you know exactly but that's that's if you're training for a goal that's not powerlifting then you shouldn't need okay to do so that. just just to flip that question a little bit then like um, you mentioned like the supportive equipment can have a detrimental effect on your ability to recover and can later on cause some harm in terms of like injuring your muscles or joints. So, um, is there is there a fine line? Is there a silver lining? First of all, is there a, is there a way you can use equipment um, to benefit from the actual support of it yeah, without absolutely. it becoming detrimental to your just general functionality? Yeah, absolutely. But it, it comes a point where like a pain relief. Um, medication is yeah. masking the problem. So, do you think is it fair, fair to say, in your opinion, then that people become too reliant on it and then therefore end up injured long term? Well, I think so, but I think at that level, uh, we could name lifters in this gym who do it at that point when they're competing, and you, yeah, yeah. I think it within the sport of powerlifting, it's a, a necessary um, supplementary piece of equipment that's going to allow you to compete. Yeah. So that's it is a little bit different. I think when you're training and you're just looking for overall well-being, which comes back to therapy, then some of these things could have 
obviously have a positive effect because it's giving you that stability, but constantly relying on them, it's 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 plugging a gap. You know, it's putting a some kitchen roll down a sink because you haven't got a plug. What's the best advice then for someone who's listening to this now who's uh, maybe just got into powerlifting and they've bought all the kit, mm. they want to use it, uh, they want to train the skill as much as possible because we both know that the mechanic of the lift changes as soon as you put the equipment on. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you still recommend uh, not using the equipment to to retain a good level of functionality generally as well as using the equipment if you want to be a healthy athlete but still compete? Or is it just a case of choose your poison? Like, you've chosen this now. You're going to have to, you're just going to, have to deal with it. And then maybe look at, like, sports therapy and the injury management. Yeah, well, you know, the truth is powerlifting, it's a very, you know, the the margin of error is quite high. You know, you, it, speaking for myself, I initially injured my back competing because it was a by any means necessary and this was with equipment bear in mind to get this weight up off the floor because it's 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 an absolute strength type of sport so really i would to try and answer your question i would say there is absolutely no harm in yeah. training with equipment with um you know with your knee sleeves and whatnot not at all but i think what it will do is it will mask some of these underlying problems that are starting to present themselves and you're unaware so it's I, I know Fred Hatfield was a big advocate of training with as little assistance as possible and then closer to competition start bringing these things in because obviously A, it's going to condition you for the competition but B, it's going to get you used to how you're going to feel on the day. It's getting you mentally and sort of physically prepared. Um, so I suppose that the, the honest answer is it depends. Personally speaking, I wouldn't. But I've always trained minimal equipment, which is probably, you could argue, helped me get to the position I am in terms of injury problems. Do you think there's ever a time where not wearing equipment could be detrimental? If you're trying to go for your max or, I don't know, if you're trying to push yourself to an absolute limit, would you recommend using equipment in that that respect? Yeah. So if you're going to do it, then protect yourself. Yeah, but in all honesty, powerlifting-wise, how often do you really truly train your max? Well, when you're a beginner, it's quite frequently. A lot of people will try and go, but especially lads with egos will try and typically go balls to the wall from day one. Okay, I well, might try and max out every week. Well, if you're being guided appropriately, then you very seldom try every, your one Every max. 12 weeks. You know, your free yeah, web. If that. Free web? Rep? Free rep max is probably as far as you go. And then after like a 12-week cycle, as you say, you might then test it. At that point, of course, you'd wear equipment because why would you risk all the work you've put in to regress? following an injury we'd have to start up again we speak to many people in this gym so it's you use it appropriately Mm. i think if you depend upon it throughout in the way that people depend on caffeine throughout then it's just sort of putting a band-aid over a problem or a plaster but i think if you're truly going to train these things these maxes then yeah that's how you protect yourself so the, the truth behind it the answer i think is it's just you have to judge when it's appropriate and i think a really good example as well it's, we talk about Kelly Sturette. I think yeah. he did as uh, as Mike Bell podcast when he was doing the deadlift. And there comes a point when they actually start using equipment. But the early early phases of the deadlift training, um, they don't. Mm. So they use it when it's appropriate. But I think if you use it constantly, which you may be contradicting yourself, I don't know. I'd have to listen back to it now. Yeah. But I think if you just rely on these things, which is what I used to do, yeah. and just wear a belt, even when I was doing tricep presses, you know, Bodybuilding um, style. Yeah, it's it's you've got to ask yourself why are you using it in the first place. Mm. You know, people use belts to give them a prompt to brace. So okay. you've always got to justify it. Yeah, that's I what think, you're saying. I think if you just wear them for the sake of it as a fashion statement, yeah. because you are a powerlifter. Yeah, then that is very much a thing now, which is quite sad mm. as well. It's like you know the the the, the SBD wanker, you know the full kit wanker kind of thing. So Shana did actually like oh, that was funny. Uh, you know, she's so timid. You're a powerlifter now because you've got a full SBD kit or whatever. And it, it does become a bit of a fashion thing, which... That's cyclical, isn't it? Uh, it has its pros sport. and cons. It's good because it, it it's good for the sport in terms of like its exposure and its reach. Um, but like it kind of takes away from the core values of the sport as well, in my opinion. But let's not go off on a Danny Staples tangent. Which we have, by which the way, we have. many times. So therapy. That was interesting. How important is sports therapy or sports massage therapy for sports performance then in that, that respect? 
I say wrote it, I didn't, so I made a, a post on my... This is quite a broad question as well, to well, be fair. I put it recently on my Facebook page that, you know, is sports massage or is massage therapy because sports massage is a component of massage. There's different types of massage. Uh, is that um, the best or the most important aspect of recovery? Well, it's not. It's part of uh, of many factors behind yeah. effective recovery. Let's say sleep, nutrition, um, you know, stretching when it's appropriate. But sports massage is very much part of that, I think. So tissue management. Um, you know, from a psychological point of view, having a massage puts you at ease. You know, training is a stressful thing, regardless of its intensity. It's a stress on the body. So naturally, it's going to be in a defensive mindset, whereas getting a massage, whether it's, you know, a pre-event massage, which is typically associated with increased blood flow, um, no deep tissue work. So you're not trying to really apply too much pressure and break down some of the deeper muscles if you can, which is very difficult to do with your hands, but people can. Um, it's it's part of, a, of an all-encompassing strategy that you should have. So I think it's very important, but it's not the most important, but it should be part of your recovery strategy. A lot of elite athletes do invest in sports massage therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's overlooked at an amateur level? Yeah, but I think that's probably more due to cost. I don't think it's... I think... One thing I say to the people I will massage here is that, you know, prior to coming to me, how often were you getting a massage? And more often than not, it's either A, I've never had one, or um, a long time, you know, years. I say, so you're already ahead of the game by coming here today and doing one. So if you can commit to one a month, you're ahead of the curve. Now, if you speak to most, you know, again, amateur athletes, um, you know, aspiring to get to that next bracket of semi-pro, they will maybe do one or have one once every two weeks because they value that it's it's part of their overall relaxation slash tissue management strategy. Um, and then obviously at the elite level, it's it's part of the routine. You know, if you go to any football side, as low as you know the the um, league two and, and going into the conference, they all do it as well. They all see it as a as a a key component. Now there's a, there's evidence for and against massage. There's uh, a lot of advocates who would state that it's it has no benefit whatsoever. There's no evidence to suggest that physically it helps you, but then there's there's evidence to the contrary. And when you look at how long massage has existed in some form, you know you're talking five thousand years, China, uh, Egypt. There's got to be something to it. Um, but I think it's it's overlooked probably more to do with price mm. than its actual benefit. Mm. Would you say it's cost effective? I think it is. I think if you're, if you take powerlifters in this gym, for example, and, and what we're lucky is that we have a, a lot of uh, regional, um, regional athletes, um, national athletes, and now you know, British athletes. Yeah. You know, and, we, and for that reason, I think what people are starting to do now is see the value of it and use it as part of their strategy and use it as part of a, an injury prevention model. Okay, so for someone who's, um, regardless of what sport they're doing, uh, would you recommend that they at least explore the option of sports massage therapy when they're thinking about getting into a sport? Um, Do you think they should consider it as part of their strategy overall? Or do you think they should just start? Well, it keeps me in a job, so yes. Uh, No, I I think if you, again, if money was no object. I think what I'm trying, the, the point I was trying to get to is do you think people leave it until it's too late? Yeah, always. Yeah, prevention's better than cure. Okay, um, that's the bombshell. Well, it is. I think that's. But we're not going to end. Uh, we're not going to end the show just yet, are we? No, I was just looking at the clock. That's coming up. No, we're we're only thirty minutes in. Um, well, all right. If you take nothing from this, or you take anything from it, well, you probably will take nothing from this because no one ever does. Uh, but if you take anything from this, I think yeah, prevention is better than cure, especially with training. Um, this is why it's really important to have a qualified coach. Uh, and I'm not necessarily, necessarily yeah. saying myself, but someone who can really look at someone and break down the movement and say, you know, you are exhibiting this pattern, which could, if left um, unchecked, result in an injury down the line. So we need to actually put things in place. And it may involve a massage at this point, because if you're moving ineffectively for long periods of time, if you're sitting in chairs like this where our hip flexors are getting tight and we're a little bit more flexed, <clears throat> it's going to make muscles much shorter, which is going to make them tighter, which is going to put more stress on other muscles, which means that 
massage could come in to try and loosen these things off, giving mm-hmm. you a, almost like a, a reset to stretch these things out and really get them moving effectively again. And there are other things that are involved that I'm not intelligent enough to discuss in terms of your neurological stretching and, uh, stretching and contracting. But that's something I will be learning very soon. So you mentioned neurological and you men- mentioned physiological. Mm-hmm. What about psychological? What what effect does it have on an athlete or people that you've worked with in the past or you know, some of the research you know, that you've done? I had mentioned psychological um, or physiological. How, how, well, you mentioned well, it's all physical, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You, you mentioned that the physical benefits. What are the psychological benefits of having a sports massage therapist? Well, there's the placebo effect of whatever's going to happen now, I'm going to improve. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing. Uh, psychological, um, you know, quite frankly, massage is quite an intimate thing. Yeah. You know, we respond to touch. And obviously, there's a cascade of chemical responses that happen when we, we come into close contact with each other. But <laughs> it's it. the truth is, if you're told this is going to benefit you, then in the back of your mind, you will believe it regardless. Hmm. Um, I think what massage is supposed to do is those, those muscle fibers that become intertwined or where they've rubbed over each other repeatedly, and they form these clumps. You know, what you're trying to do is trying to iron them out again and get those fibers sort of going over each other effectively again. Um, what was the question? It's <laughs> about, about the psychological. Psychological, benefits. sorry, yeah. yeah. So you're explaining so you mentioned this to the someone. placebo effect. Yeah, but you're explaining this to people and it makes yeah. sense. And you go over it all. And then at the end of it, you know, they find themselves being able to move a little bit more. I think it, it's psychologically. I think it comes down to again those two points. I think it's the 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 feeling that your problems are going to be addressed, and then also this placebo effect. You know that you've you've sort of told yourself, trained yourself that this is going to benefit me. Um, and there's a lot of people out there, whether it's with grasping techniques or whether it's uh, guaisha or whatever. You know that that it's been around for this long now. Do you think it's because people get an instant kind of feel good factor from it? Like the, they might, might be, might be able to have, uh, feel some relief immediately. You think that has like a massive psychological benefit for some people and that's why they might come back as well. Well, some people catastrophize things, don't they? Yeah. So yeah, I think, um, I've, I've seen people who, you know, in terms of just doing really basic assessments of the joint movements. Yeah. Checking the ranges. Really, they're not unusual in any way. Like they're moving quite freely. Maybe some some restrictions here, it's soft tissue restrictions, but you would expect that. And merely going up through a, a, a standard routine of just going trying to loosen things off and get the blood circulating again. Um, they've had the same movements, maybe a little bit increased, mm. which is the goal, obviously. Um, but they feel like you know this has changed their lives. But they've already told themselves that you know I'm gonna this, all this touch is gonna make me feel better. And I'm probably not selling massage very well by saying this, but it's all part of it. It's an all-encompassing thing with massage. There is that psychological side of it, as well as the physiological side of it. But psychology is massive in massage. Yeah. Um, but I think people who do it badly um, forget some of the processes mm-hmm. to actually give someone an effective uh, sports massage. Like the whole package, physically, psychologically? Well, you speak to some of my clients who, you know, I am like you have to be with whether it's clients yeah. or patients. You you present yourself differently to different people yeah. because they respond to you more. So I've got clients who I'm very serious, very you know step by step. Here's what I'm doing and yeah. why. And then I have people who trust me now, but I'm very much more lighthearted. We play music, we laugh. Holly. Yeah, it just depends. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So Great. I think it, it depends on the individual, but I think for the most part, the psychology of how you do it. You know, if you've got someone who's got a a sense of humor and mm. they've had a few massages now you can do a maintenance massage if you like and they'll still feel the benefit of it well, what, what's your icebreaker then if you have got i don't know someone who who comes in you're not quite sure you haven't quite figured them out what, what what's your icebreaker um just very dry humor but also i think my As favorite always. is what is your favorite soundtrack to accompany a film and that gets people thinking yeah. straight away and then you and yours, Danny, i've asked you this question now what's the question Favorite soundtrack to a company of film is what is your favorite uh, probably soundtrack? Probably something to do with Star Wars. Um, Jewel of the Fates. Now that I wasn't the, expecting. Tell me more. Jewel of the Fates is the theme that comes on when uh, Obi Wan and Qui Gon 
um, go to the fight with Darth Maul. I remember it. Me to meet my apprentice. You remember the sound? Remember the score? Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. We'll handle it. I'm pretty sure we've blasted it in Liam Burston's car in town one day. We did. Yeah. Alongside then. Um, um, how old were you when Phantom Menace Harry, came out? Harry Potter. That's all I can think of. How old were you when the Phantom Harry, Menace? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was 2001, I believe. So yeah. I was 99. Was it 99? It was. Um, I should know that. I'm I'm quite sure the myself there. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. For you guys who don't know already, I should know that. Very disappointed in myself. The force is strong with this one. Not with me today, unfortunately. Well, coffee's strong, so that's good. Now, I think um, as soon as I realised milk was in there, it's just like taking away my buzz. Um, I'm, I'm buzzing. I'm jittery. But let's get back to the point because uh, we haven't got long, have we? Uh, we're okay. We're doing okay for time. Then I've lied to the audience. What are the most common misconceptions around sports massage therapy then? That it's about getting your elbow into someone. Right. Straight away. Can you elaborate for our viewers? Well, I our listeners. No, I know for a fact that anyone who receives a sports massage from me is going to be like um, writing in and telling me that I'm a liar. But a massage really shouldn't hurt because it is the duty of the massage therapist to ask people to rate their pain as you go okay. along. It always tickles me. So, but okay. I'm not not sure well, whether that's just like because I'm a, I'm a bit of a masochist and no. I kind of like a well, bit yeah, of pain. Actually, you are. But pain is subjective. You know, what hurts me might not hurt you and vice versa. Mm. You know, and this is why, you know, different scales to actually identify pain, none of them are perfect, but okay. they at least give you an idea. So the, um, you know, the most common one is the one I use. So on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the worst pain you've ever experienced in your life, um, zero being nothing at all. What are you, you know, where are you now? Um well, people just presume, to answer your question, that a sports massage is just painful. You stick mm. your elbow in, you go right in, and just try and hurt someone because it'll feel better. Now, you might feel better after about five days of bruising, which is obviously a consequence of sports massage. But it does hurt more than your usual massage. It's more uncomfortable. So is that where the misconception comes from, you I think? Th- well, I've mentioned before about different types of massages. So you've got your Swedish massage, which is some of the Karen. Is that more relaxing? Yeah, it's more associated with very sort of light strokes and more effleurage work. So again, you know, getting blood circulation, yep. going warming the muscle up. So it's a lot more therapeutic, a lot more, say, therapeutic. Okay. Sorry, a lot more relaxing. Your sports massage incorporates those things, but it also incorporates a lot of deep tissue work. And again, mm. you've got your superficial muscles at the top, and then you've got your underlying muscles, which are very difficult to get to. Um, you know, you could argue that you're never really going to get to the deep muscles as effectively, but um, that's where you try and get some of these under. So, for example, um, you know, the rhomboids are quite deep. Yeah. Um, you know, the um, the psoas muscle, for example, is quite deep and it's very difficult to really access it uh, as effectively as, say, the traps, mm. um, which is quite superficial. Um, so, misconception is that, you know, it's going to be really painful, but it is more uncomfortable than, say, a typical Swedish massage. Or uh, and does that depend on the individual? As well, well, they're all you. You could go to ten different massage therapists, and they'll yeah. be different. Which is why you tend to find someone that you, you know, you trust and you, 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 you know, gravitate towards. I know when I've had a massage in the past, off you, I'm just sensitive, like ev- everything. Is this supposed like, to big me up, or is this supposed to knock me down? But what what's strange is like uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I practice jujitsu as well a few times a week, and there's incredible sport. There's day. It's not a sport. It's a martial oh, art. Oh, it's just the self-defense. So it's not UFC. Then it's not. There's I no com- it- no competitive side to it. There's no rules. It's like yeah. there is one rule: make your own rules. Exactly. Eye gouges are allowed. Headbutts are allowed. Whatever. Do people generally look at the camera? By the way, or am I just breaking no, the fourth wall? Yeah, you're breaking the fourth wall. Oh. Yeah, you're making it awkward. Oh, sh- Sure. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. For those of you who don't know, I practiced jujitsu a few times. I've been doing it for the last eight years, and like I'm getting banged and bopped and just like thrown around. It's giving me bad, bad booty. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and like so, I, I get hurt, this. but like it's fine. But as soon as someone touches me when I'm, it's in it, like it's a sports massage. I'm like, Ugh. let me ask you this: you know, is jujitsu a sport where you incur the most injuries? Not a sport. Sport. He's just saying this because some of you are uh, watching this. Okay. It's difficult Martial to arts. say if you are 
if you're just doing that on its own, I think it really depends on the individual. For me, all my injuries have stemmed from crossing wires between jiu-jitsu and powerlifting and trying to balance them both. Mm-hmm. That's where I've gone wrong, trying to go all in on both okay. instead of just prioritizing one. You can't do both full on well, without crossing wires and without I- something happening because one requires you to be supple, dynamic, uh, quick, and the other one requires you to be static and strong mm-hmm. and stiff somewhat. Okay. So... Mike Isretal, for example, incorporates bodybuilding and jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Do you think Paulson and jiu-jitsu is, is a bad marriage? Yeah. It's a terrible romance. Heading straight I think to that's divorce. where all my injuries have stemmed from. I know okay. I've had injuries in the past from football when I was a kid. Um, I've had a few injuries from jiu-jitsu, the majority from powerlifting. But I think it's because I've been trying to do both in like the, the, the top gear at, for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm so stubborn and I've not listened to my body. Yeah. You have to get hurt before you listen to your body. And I think we, I mentioned it before with Mike Boyle. He has a theory that we all go through stages of training. So he says, we yeah. all start as bodybuilders. You know, we all train the mirror muscles. I still do because I want to look good. That's just me. But then we all train as powerlifters because we want to get strong. Yeah. We then train as an injured powerlifter because we go too far. And I guarantee you now that if we got every member of this gym who powerlifts, they're carrying an injury of some kind. It's unavoidable. Have we got any powerlifter in the room? They'd say the same. Is it true that everyone's injured? Yes. Somewhat. Define injury. As in, even on a minor level. Every like whenever you whenever you lift a weight, if you're doing a sport, like you've got a minor injury. I would say there'll, so, there'll yeah. be a minor tear, or there'll be a pull, or something, or yeah, because the brain has got to receive the signal. Yeah. So a grade three, for example, I was talking about grades before a complete rupture of something generally. Like your your brain will receive the message that yeah. there is pain. Get me out of this situation. You know things like, um, you know, I, I keep mentioning Mike Boyle, but in one of his um, functional training seminar series, he they were talking about foam rolling specifically, which I suppose is a form of massage. It's, it's tissue work, and they rolled a lacrosse ball mm. under the plantar uh, fascia on that plantar fascia. Um, painful, and it was painful. But we walk around every day and we don't experience the pain there because we simply haven't received the message. It's not threatening enough. So I think everyone's walking around in pain. It's just the signal hasn't quite. And another example is when you sort of slip, you know, slip discs or bulge spine, you know. Um, You know, we've probably walking around with these slight, um, again, dysfunctions or what, a better word. And yet until it goes or it impinges on a nerve, we don't feel it. We're all walking around with pain, but it's just the body hasn't actually acknowledged it until it's too late, usually. I can't remember where I read it, but um, I don't know whether you've ever heard of this, but if you've been doing powerlifting for a few years, is it true that you've likely got a bulging disc? Well, I, I've not read that. I don't, uh, I'm, I don't I'm know. pretty enough. sure it was Will who mentioned this, and Will, okay. if you don't know Will, Will oh, yes. he's, he's uh, yeah. one of your clients, one of my clients, he's been doing, he's been, he's been, been training for probably about 20, 25 years now. Yeah. He's been powerlifting with Taylor's big for Willy the style. last uh, five. Nope, not five. About three years. Is someone doing a bleep about test outside, by the way? Uh, sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have got the, we're in the gym office, by the way, for you guys who don't know. We're not just in a, in a secluded studio. This is where the magic happens. We've got people training outside. All so the if you do hear some clanking on seclusion, it's because we've got uh, people training outside. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, Will uh, Will's an absolute mess, isn't he? He's got a couple of bulging discs. He's got a uh, degenerative end plate. I know you've worked with him a few times. Like yeah. he can't tie his shoelaces mm-hmm. sometimes. It's not good. He, he can barely move. Yeah. But sometimes his and, mobility and, and is let's, really let's great. Let's be honest. At that point, the massage can only do so much. Yeah. Because again, it's more. It's 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 part of this Venn diagram skeletal, then, isn't it? It is. But again, you know, and these are things that. You know, these aren't all going to be training related. These will be, you know, lifestyle related, um, and then trauma, because again, that's something that people, you know, have no choice. If you're in a in a road traffic collision and you fracture your, your tibia, for example, or you um, injure your pelvis in some way, then there's going to be a, a knock on effect, and it's going to take a while. If and and maybe it never will be perfect, but these are the things that you know massage can be useful for further down the line after the initial sort of healer or the main healing process has taken place. Um, 
because it can take up to six months. After six months, you know, you, you really should be at a point where you're relatively back to normal. You mentioned the phone rolling before. Mm-hmm. How effective is foam rolling versus mm-hmm. sports massage therapy? You see a lot of people walking around with foam rollers now. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a lot of people don't know what they're doing with them. Uh, they spend a lot of time rolling on them in between the sets. How effective are foam rollers? I, I think that it's very similar to massage. It's effective to some people and not to others. I think foam rolling um, is just self... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. Self-administered massage. Mm. And you can do it, and it can be effective, and that's why there's varying densities of foam rollers. Would you say it's safe to do in between doing like powerlifting, for example, in between like heavy sets? Because no, I from what so. I've learned is that it creates instability, and then that can have a bit of a knock-on effect or something else. Like, uh, it can how, would it, how would it create instability? So if you're loosening off, um, I don't know, say the adductor or the hamstring... Surely, um, if you've already done mobility that day, for example, and then you're already you're doing sets at that time, you're working up to a top heavy, for example, two hundred kilo that day, and you're working up to a top lift. It's ninety percent of your one rep max, and be- in between each set, you're rolling that muscle. Surely, that creates some well, instability. Well, well, let's. I don't know about instability, but what I would say is, is that if you're doing an event, let's say massa, whether it's running or whatever you shouldn't be doing any sort of deep tissue work because it's still a form of trauma. It's still, it's trying to encourage the, you know, the healing process of so the inflammatory response and the, the remodeling of muscle. That's what you do when you apply tension, the pressure to a muscle. If so you, you wouldn't recommend it in that sense. No, I'd recommend it. it I could think it create fine. some instability because I've, I think I'm, it would create vulnerability. I don't know about instability. Right. Because what is stability? You know, I think really it's something that, I don't think there's an advantage to foam rolling in between a set. I think there is. Be- beforehand, I think you could mm. because foam rollers are not as dense as as, as bone, which mm. is what effectively a sports massage is doing, yeah. and thus it's going to give you a greater deep massage potential. But I would say that a foam roller in between a set, unless you were doing it with the purpose of increasing blood flow, mm. I don't think there's a benefit to that. I think it depends. There's probably more chance of being a, a, a hindrance than a than a you know, an advantage. You see people stretching and stuff in between sets as well and mm. like the, the the same thing. Would you say that's quite dangerous to do as well? If, you, if you're if you already in the middle of doing, I don't know, in the middle of your workout? I think the honest answer is it depends. I think, you know... Um, okay, if I was doing deadlifts and I was stretching my hamstrings in between every set, would you would you say that's safe to do or not safe to do? Um, It depends on the on the the amount of time under tension you're doing with a stretch because it, it varies. I know mm. with, with martial artists, for example, who need flexibility, then they would stretch for, you know, maybe going on five minutes in its, in its extreme because you need flexibility and able to increase your range when you kick. I think when you're deadlifting, it's not... You need a range of movement. You need a, a functional range within that lift. So it obviously depends on what technique you use. But I would say that I don't think being overly flexible because, again, you stretching your fibers and in theory you're going to reduce its contractile tension so what is power it's speed quickly and it's contractual force so if you're reducing the force potential then it creates weakness potentially but again it could depends depends on if you're bodybuilding or if you're doing hypertrophy work then stretching in between sets you might encourage a bit more flow and you might encourage the fibers to stretch yeah. to then enable them to be worked more effectively in the next set. So that, you know, I don't think stretching for... And then time comes into play. So I think stretching for 10, 15 seconds isn't going to be a problem. But I think stretching for prolonged periods would be a problem. And it's developmental the truth is it just depends. stretching. Yeah, so okay. I think it just depends. Interesting. Okay, so you've you've been uh, you've been doing the sports massage now for about a year officially, did you say? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the market like? What's it like being in business as a sports massage therapist? Because uh, it's competitive and th- there's a lot of sports massage therapists out there. So how do you stand out in the crowd? Because everyone's doing sports massage therapy these days. Well, I think the key to anything is that you're constantly learning. And I mean, learning at a high standard, not mm. just posting pictures, which is what I see a lot of people do. I think in all honesty, I'm nowhere near at a level where I'd be really comfortable proclaiming to be an expert because I don't think I think the moment you think you're an expert that's where you go wrong 
I think you just need to keep enhancing your CBD. So it's very competitive because it's not hand on heart, very difficult to become a level three qualified massage therapist because it's very, although it's an A-level standard and what the college sold to me was that a diploma is better than a certificate, which is what was previously given out. You know, when I finished the course, did I have an understanding of massage techniques? Yes. Did I have a, a real fundamental or greater knowledge of anatomy? Probably better than when I walked in, but not a great deal. So what people do very well, and I'm going to quote a mortal technique, is nobody is as good as me. We've just got better marketing schemes. And I think what a lot of sports massage therapists are great at is selling themselves and proclaiming that they know what they're doing and because they're, they're feeding off people's lack of knowledge in the area. I think for me, which is evidenced by how much I charge in relation to a lot of people, that is a, an example that I am i don't consider myself the best at it, but I will aspire to. So the work of Dr. Uh, Mali, which is what I follow, is Massage um, Technique Library, which I try and watch as much as I can. Eric Dalton's work, Master of Massage, you know, I'm I'm trying to learn from him as well. Mm. But also I'm trying to achieve this physio degree, which I think will help this. But I think physio, it's, well, much more advanced. But I think that will help me learn more. But I'm trying to learn more about this because I think people who are in the the massage world now, certainly in this local area, it's just, you know, they don't understand why they're doing things. They don't understand what PNF stretch really does. Um, They don't understand some other techniques and when to use them. Um, so I think what tries to set me out is that I'm quite honest with people and I will talk them through. I've had people come in here and say, go and speak to your GP. Um, you know, if this doesn't work, that's fine. You know, I can, I can recommend other people. But I think at, at my level, level three, it's much of a muchness. It's who you sort of gravitate towards. But I think going forward, which a lot of people don't do, is they actually go and legitimately get some proper CPD. So I've been to a few seminars in Manchester. Um, I'm obviously doing, uh, was going to do level four, but that's included with what I'm doing now anyway. So I'm going to put that to one side. But I think if you're looking for someone who's not aspiring to get better in terms of your qualifications and your CPD, then I think they're just really good at marketing. So I think the challenge is that you've got to be, you've got to demonstrate value to people. And I hope I do that, but I think I'm lucky in so much as I've sort of found a niche here and I'm able to really, you know, hone a craft and skill. But I'm I'm still near the bottom. You know, I, I need to keep learning myself. So there's a lot of frauds out there. When you, frauds, you, you mentioned, mentioned about people um, who are really good at marketing themselves mm-hmm. and taking pictures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So are, are these the sort of people who are, aren't necessarily great at what they're doing? Well, I think the, if if someone's looking to get a sports mat or you know book it, book in for a sports massage, um, would you say that is a uh, an indicator for them just to like do a little bit more research? If it's just all about the pitches and the market and stuff like that, well, I think start with why. So when you're going to see someone, anyone, myself included, mm. you should be asking why are you doing that. And someone should be able to answer. It may not be the right answer, but they'll be able to answer. And from their answer, you can usually get an idea of whether they actually know what they're talking about. Same with coaching as well. Yeah. Nice philosophy. Well, it's start with why. Why are you powerlifting? Hmm. Why are you getting a massage? What, you know, go from there. And then you ask that person. And again, you know, if someone truly wants to get better at anything, then they have to look internally Hmm. and build on it. Uh, Massage is no different. I, I qualify with people who are terrible. Mm. I wasn't particularly great myself. I think there were a few standout people in my class. But they went on and expanded their knowledge base, so they went on to level four. Okay. Um, that, to me, would make me want to go to them. The person who massages me, who uh, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, but anyway, she's, she's by, by far the best that I've had anyway. Uh, but she's very expensive. She works in the Titanic Hotel now. There we go. Fantastic. So, uh, job, yeah if you're listening. Um, but she's um, she's been doing this for over, I think, six years, maybe more. Um, works with a very high standard. Um, understands the anatomy to a level that she can answer your questions. That's important, which, which is what I try to do. And every 
session, I improve a little bit more, whether it's a technique or whether it's a, a bit more understanding of where things are in the body. Interesting. Mm. Okay, so we are coming towards the end now. So, and I've got, a, I did have a few more points and questions that I wanted to run by. It, so, a bit of quick fire. Go. What are you? Go. What are you working on at the moment? Uh, getting better at physio. Okay. And what's coming in the future? You mentioned physio. What yes. else? So I'm currently studying my uh, physio degree, which is incredible, and I'm, I'm I'm so sad that I didn't do this earlier. It's fantastic. Uh, um, for the future, um, just get better at, at being able to diagnose people. Um, you'll never be perfect, but I think if you have the principles in place, you'll be able to offer a greater, whether it's a service to people or do a service for people. So you're going to go down the physio route and the sports massage, massage therapy is going to complement that, I think basically, so. which like is going to help you with standing out from the crowd even more so as a sports so. massage therapist. Um, what are your top recovery tips for... Um, for an athlete, like uh, a high-performing athlete? Um, drink water. Um, Why? Well, it helps hydration. It helps um, your bodily functions, you know. Uh, it's probably on the spot now, but your cellular repair and whatnot. You need yep. water. We're com- comprised it's the of... the number one, isn't it? What is it? I always get this wrong. Is it 90%, 96%? What is it? Muscles okay, is like... Really like an idiot I think now. muscles is like 80 Body but I already look like an idiot. But basically, you're mostly water. So without that, we can't function properly. And obviously, for cellular activity to take place, we need water. We need fats and all that. So, yeah, I'd say water is important. Lubrication of joints, of course. Um, I think um, also maybe, and again, not even necessarily myself, because I don't think I'm the best at this either, but having someone who can look at you objectively mm. and identify postural problems that you may have i think that is important for recovery because again you know what how much do you spend on coffee a week you know 230 a costa you know so you drink that five times a day to tenner some people charge just 15 pounds to do a postural analysis and then you've got a base <coughs> to work on what's your recovery strategy involve yours personally um i would say trying to Relax is a really good recovery strategy because, again, if you're really tense and you're really stressed, you're going to adopt all these poor really postural. really bad for that. Yeah, but really you do. Bad for it. Um, and I think it's just staying hydrated. I think one of the biggest challenges now, especially when you work in an area where um, you're not really sitting down very often. You're always on your feet. People uh, get everything else right, but then not the most basic thing, like drinking water or drinking enough water. Well, it's not sexy, is it? Quote Dan John. It's not sexy. The things that work aren't sexy mm. because we're all so looking, basic as well, well. We're looking again. I love Dan John to bits, as you can probably tell. But I think we're all trying to be the one percent instead of doing the things that ninety nine percent of us should do. Mm. You know, drink water, eat vegetables, eat like an adult. You know, sleep well, sleep restfully, uh, drink socially. You know, uh, don't binge, uh, but. So the basics of recovery strategies for me, and I try and do this as anyways, to eat well and sleep right. Danny, we could definitely talk for at least another hour or two here. We could get stuck into all these topics really easily. I hope it's been it's interesting. A lot more I've to talk about. Gibberish. We've been chatting. This is the longest episode we've ever done. Oh, so gosh. thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been uh, been a pleasure. And about time as well. About time, but this hasn't been as entertaining as we hoped. But I'd say this. It's been been really good, mate. The next time I'm on here, I'll be much more knowledgeable. So let's give that a whirl. Hopefully you've learned something from that, guys. Uh, You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Instagram, Facebook, if you're watching. And if you're listening, all your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, um, and various other ones. Uh, But if you've got any questions for Danny or questions for us in regards to recovery, uh, strength sports strategy uh, strategies for your recovery then get in touch with us and uh, you can get in touch with me personally danny at taylorstrength.co.uk you can get in touch with danny staples how can we get in touch with you danny uh you can find me on my facebook page which is ds sports massage uh i've got a great logo so you can't miss it like also there's the uh the instagram page which is ds sports massage biz that's b-i-z so ds sports massage biz one word and i think you could probably find me via Taylor Strength Training's group page. Uh, Every now and then I'll post a a little tidbit in there. And by every now and then, I mean every four months. But I am in there. So you can find me at Taylor Strength as well. 
Great stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Dan. I feel like this was uh, an, an enterprise that I should have taken part in earlier. Absolutely. I'm it's Dan a wrap. Stables. Good night. Thanks, guys.